to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Tim Peterson, Senior Media Editor at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Senior Reporter at Digiday. Kaylee, you had the interview this week. You spoke with Joanna Saltz, Editorial Director at Delish, and Dan Fuchs, VP of Brand Strategy at Hearst Magazines. Am I getting this right? So Delish started as a digital property and they've moved into print? Yeah, yeah. So they're, uh, you know, I'll say classic um digitally native brand, but as a food brand, they've always had interest in like creating cookbooks and doing like bookazines that are, you know, print extensions of a brand that act as, you know, a product that fans can engage with um, offline. Um, But they're kind of capitalizing on that and moving into a more traditional publisher role by creating their quarterly magazine, um, which I think are generally staples of a lot of food publications. So, they're digitally native. They have a big like YouTube presence. They have a big social media presence for sure. Um, but they're seeing opportunity in the print world. And uh, and Dan gets into this too, but there's also sponsorship opportunity there that um, they're looking to tap into and, and grow that way. So digitally native turned uh, traditional publisher, I guess you could say. Interesting. But you mentioned like they're still doing things like YouTube. YouTube, it felt like the past year has been a big year for any food publisher or food channel on YouTube. Has Have they like changed up their YouTube strategy at all? Um, I mean, they had to pivot it. Yeah. So they had a bunch of series on um, their YouTube channel that were very like talent focused um, with their uh, editorial staff, I'd say similar to what like Bon Appetit was doing in a test kitchen, but they had to move home, um, obviously. And at that point, you got to see a lot of those hosts like home kitchens and and they almost made it more personal, um, which has been really successful for them. And we get into how they're kind of going to try to keep that authenticity of, you know, being very personalized, um, YouTube channel and a very like relationship building kind of experience, how they're going to keep that going um, once they do return to office. Um, I think that's something that a lot of publishers who've made that pivot to home are now trying to see because honestly, having like a, you know, look at someone's house has, I think, worked in the favor for a lot of YouTube publishers or a lot of publishers who work on YouTube. Right. Yeah. Voyeurism. Go figure. American public. Super into that. Um, All right. So everything from print publishing to YouTube production. Pretty sweeping conversation. Kaylee, I'll let you get to it. Thank you so much, Dan and Joe, for being on today. You bet. Good to see you. Hi. Thanks for having us. Awesome. So um, I think it would be best to start out by talking about, um, you know, what's new and exciting at the Delish brand. Um, I have kind of noticed that, you know, Delish is a traditionally a digital native um, brand, but recently there's been more like physical iterations coming to life. So I know that you guys are um, launching a a quarterly print publication, which Dan just so gracefully passed in front of the Zoom camera. We're very very excited. We love a little show and tell. (laughs) Yeah, it looks great. Um, Can you talk about the decision of going print? I feel like it's it's usually the opposite these days. Uh, Print goes more digital. But yeah, tell me about Um, the transition to a quarterly print publication? Well, I can't say it's a transition as much as it is, you know, we've always at Delish just been trying to meet our audience where they are. Um, And, you know, yes, we started out 
as a, a website, but I would say over the past, I mean, it's been about six years now, um, we've really been experimenting with different forms of media. media. Um, and what we had seen, you know, over the last few years is we were, we were starting to experiment with some bookazines, which if you don't know, are like slightly, you know, heavier weighted magazines that you see on newsstands. Usually they get really <laughs> like Dan is doing show and tell again. Um, you know, they, they're, they're generally themed and they are, you know, thicker paper stock. They're a higher price point. They're somewhere between a magazine and a book is sort of what everybody says. Um, and so we had put a few of those out just to sort of test the market. And honestly, um, you know, we had, we had known that there were a few topics that our audience was really passionate about. And frankly, we saw a lot of really great success there. Um, our bookazines were some of the best sold at Hearst, some of the best sold on newsstands. Um, and we realized that our audience really does have a high appetite for print from cooking from a piece of paper. Um, you know, we've also been doing cookbooks for the past few years. We have, you know, a, a classic delish one. We have a desserts. We, have, we just came out with cocktails right in the middle of COVID, which was, we, little did we know, was very well-timed. Um, and we have a, a kid's cookbook coming out um, this summer. And so we had just seen that our audience was there. And so as we started to, um, you know, develop our next phase, um, which is, you know, really a, around consumer memberships, which we'll talk about in a little bit, you know, we realized that the people who want to be a part of the Delish universe and want to pay to be a part of it really also want to see us in print. And so we just made the decision, let's do it four times a year. Let's make it super fun, make it really themed. Um, and let's, you know, kind of go for it. It's, I'm really excited. I feel really great about it. Aside from like the physical differences, what like content wise is different between the like quarterly magazine and the bookazines that you had been doing? Cause those ones are coming out at a similar cadence, right? Like those were still kind of in the quarterly, um, realm. They were, yeah, they were, you know, maybe three times a year. I mean, I think bookazines by design are supposed to be able to be sort of evergreen, um, you know, obviously they're seasonal in that when we release them, you know, obviously we do soups in the fall and holiday cookies when you would expect them to be when they expect to come out. Um, but they really are meant to sort of be able to live out in the ether whenever. So they don't really have any timely relevance. Um, you know, with the quarterly, we were really looking for this Venn diagram of like, what are things that people always want? You know, so the first thing, the first issue is about breakfast and brunch. And so we really wanted this to be sort of um, a, a collection of things that you will always want to make. Sure, things that are evergreen, you'll want to come back to a million times. You have a great recipe in there for like bagels. You didn't even know you can make them at home. Um, but then also some really surprising things, Dole Whip mimosas. We wanted to be a little bit more interesting and different. Um, and then also sort of tapping into really current trends, the Dolgana coffee. We did a whole deep dive into this enormous TikTok trend and then did some amazing iterations of that, uh, Dolgana martinis and whatnot. So for me, it's the perfect meeting point for, you know, classics, surprising, and then really current. I don't think that you could publish, republish this breakfast and brunch, brunch issue in three years and have it have the same relevance. Um, but that's sort of by design. That's what bookazines are really supposed to do. They're supposed to be able to be something that you can kind of publish whenever if they decide in two years they want to bring our soups one back. You should still be able to cook from it in the same way. Um, so I like that because, you know, delicious. We always built it 
was supposed to be a place where you got, you know, we always said, come for the food, stay for the fun. And the fun was always news. And it was, you know, crazy stories about IHOP recipes and, um, and a little mix of all of that. So you see that woven through the pages of the Delish Quarterly. The quarterly, is that going to be a subscriptions model? Is that also exclusively newsstand? How are you um, going about selling it? It, it, it? it is both. And I think that, you know, here's where you see sort of the business element come into play also. And this is, you know, we're, we're part of Hearst and Hearst is having um, a really good amount of success on building out uh, memberships. And people who are big fans of our brands are willing to pay for really good content. So... As, as Joe mentioned, as we're sort of looking towards introducing the print product, it seemed like a perfect time to do it, uh, to make it a real enhancement to the membership. So the answer to the question is, you can buy Delish Quarterly on newsstand, but you can also get it as part of an annual subscription. So we launched, uh, so the membership program is called Delish Unlimited. We launched it in the middle of December, so it's now three months. Uh, we've seen tremendous success. So for $20 a year for an annual subscription, you get unlimited access to all of the site. So the site is now behind a pay meter. So everybody gets up to four free articles a month. And after that, the $20 subscription gives you full access to everything there, special newsletter, some exciting new content opportunities that we've got coming up this year, and an annual subscription to Delish Quarterly. So right now, we'll see how we do. We just went on newsstand two weeks ago, but we're already building a pretty nice subscriber base at the same time. Nice. Yeah, I was going to ask about um, the membership portion of it because before the pandemic, I remember speaking to, I I think, definitely uh, Delish, but also I think maybe a couple other um, Hearst brands about like membership plays and building communities. And um, I recall back then there was this idea of creating like a web of um, events around the U.S. for like local um, communities and like kind of doing like little hotspots of – community building kind of events and, st- and stuff like that. Obviously that every event got, you know, delayed or canceled. <laughs> so I'm curious, is this membership, is this your like transition of that model? Is that how you kind of continued the community building um, engagement or is this, is this a different kind of strategy that you'd been thinking about for a while? The strategy really is more of the sort of the overall corporate strategy is how we're looking at sort of evolving um, our editorial product and how we're looking at the monetization aspect of it. Uh, but it's a great way for the data to show us that we've got the passionate audience there. So there certainly will be opportunities for that community building, but the strategy really came out of more about, you know, sort of forming that deeper connection uh, based on the data that we show that people are willing to pay for really good content. And I would say too, you know, j- just from a personal perspective, um, you know, we spend so much time building Delish, like to be big, you know, like scale was so important to us over the last five years. And I think honestly, I don't know if it's COVID that makes me start to think about it, but I suddenly, I started to feel over the last year, I mean, yes, of course, it's the corporate strategy. I would hate to pretend to take credit for like memberships, but personally, as the editorial director of this brand, you know, a closer connection, a deeper connection with our audience is something that I'm really particularly passionate about right now. And how can we have a more intimate interface with people who are true 
delish obsessives. Um, you know, I started to, we started to experiment with some live programming over, over the course of the last year. Um, our amazing editor, Mackenzie Gore, has a great show called Baking is My Therapy that she was doing on Facebook to a, a very active baking Facebook page group that we have there. Um, and, so she did a live show twice a week and just to see the fervor of the audience there connect with her and ask questions and, um, you know, and really feel like they were a part of the delish world. My kids and I did a, a kids mom and kids show on Instagram for a few months called cooking together that still comes in and out. Um, and to see moms and kids who were all sort of stuck in the same situation that we were, you know, find solace and joy through food. Um, you know, food is a very emotional um, sort of medium. And for us to be able to really affect someone's life directly is really exciting to me. And so, you know, the membership thing, while it's great that we're successful, to me, it really does prove this point that people want to be fully immersed in the Delish brand, you know, and they, um, you know, they they love our universe and they want to be as close to it as possible. So that to me, like, you know, I, I the future of that is so exciting because it really, it, you become more than a media brand, you become a relationship in someone's life. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's interesting as well, um, how the like Facebook live and the, the Instagram kind of live series. Um, I do think that for the, at least the first several months of the pandemic, especially that there was just so many like eyeballs and attention spent on those platforms. And I think a lot of publishers were taking to um, those live platforms to keep their audiences engaged, keep them, you know, coming back to the brand. Um, and I'm curious, like, are you, when you're, I guess, marketing the membership now and when you're going out to your audience and you mentioned for a long time there was this very much a focus on scale and having just a, a really large net of users but now when you're marketing your membership are you going to those like you know smaller Facebook groups those like really engaged um, followers on Instagram like are you targeting those um, return viewers as your targets for getting like members in the door or how are you going about the like marketing side of it? I think it's a little bit of both, I have to say. You know, I think that, um, you know, we are definitely go marketing towards the people who love us in the places where they love us, whether it's via Facebook, uh, you know, any of the groups we have there, whether it's through Instagram, you know, we've converted quite a few of our Instagram followers to memberships. Um, you know, and then we'll also be, you know, frankly, as I said before, like reaching our audience wherever they are, we're, we're, we've also done some marketing in the, um, in the Delish magazine, the quarterly, and then we'll also market, you know, at, um, throughout the Hearst, um, family of brands. Um, but, you know, honestly, right now, the highest, the place where we're getting the most members is through our, um, is through our content on site, like our, our SEO based content. And, you know, to be able to, you know, when someone finds us, um, through something they're searching for, they're like, I love this and I want to spend more time here. And that to me is really exciting too, because, you know, the idea that you can engage someone who kind of a little bit meandered in off the street, like that's really fantastic. Um, and, you know, so, but frankly, we're so in its infancy, as Dan said, we just started in December. So we're still in like, as far as I'm concerned, beta mode of just like, 
understanding and and learning from our audience and figuring out what they want and what they're excited about and um you know and how we can continue to grow whatever this membership is into something really meaningful um listening to our audience has always been something that we've really i mean whether it's through like our recipes or you know any of our youtube shows like we're very we try to be very dialed in to what our audience wants i think it 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 really does sort of um, it increases our connection with them, I think, in a lot of ways. I also wanted to ask about, like, the advertising side of the, I guess, uh, quarterly magazine that you're coming out with and, like, this kind of um, advertiser component of, you know, memberships tend to be very highly engaged portions of your audience. I'm curious, like, if the if that has also subsequently benefited advertising. And now you have this print magazine that I imagine probably is a, a good area to expand advertising um, as well. But I'm, I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about that piece of it and, um, you know, how your sales team has kind of adapted strategy to either maybe do more cross-platform buys or really home in on um, print ads? Yeah. So while, while the origin really behind this was membership-driven and audience-driven, it has it's such a great testament to the success of the brand that advertisers are certainly interested. And I think from a strategy standpoint, we're really looking at it to your point about um, cross-platform, holistically looking at delicious and enterprise. So, you know, we have some advertisers who are really very print focused. They're really excited about um, a new entry into the marketplace, particularly the food space. So starting with issue number two, we've already sold we're, we're selling some pages, and that's and that's great. But we're having also some deeper conversations about native content, sponsored recipes, uh, and also really how does that tie into what a partner might be doing with us on Delish.com? So theoretically, we could be doing some great, let's say, branded content videos for an ingredient-based advertiser that could easily translate itself into a really cool native execution in the magazine, spread vertorial, you know, as. Uh, as Joe talked about, there are some recipes that maybe sort of play a little bit better in print than, than they might digitally. So we might really do a lot digitally or video-based around those advertisers' recipes that work best online, and then maybe do something differently there. But the exciting part is now that we've got sort of this growing base of, I don't know, let's call them super fans of Delish that are paying for this subscription we're starting to have those preliminary conversations with how do we provide more benefit to that audience via our partners, special incentives, um, exclusive looks at new products. Uh, it's a really exciting new opportunity for us. And it's, it's sort of led to uh, some pretty meaningful conversations with partners. And I'll say too, like, honestly, to Dan and, um, and his team's credit, like we're always really we're very entrenched. Editorial is very entrenched in sort of developing all of, we're, we're the only, one of the only teams at Hearst, the editorial teams that produces its own branded content, because for us, it was so important that that messaging sort of be told through the editorial lens. I think that we work, Dan, I would say we work very well together in, you know, really merging sort of the um, the needs of the advertiser and our partners with sort of what we know our audience will go crazy for. I would say we've always been really good at sort of combining both yeah. of those I mean, missions. I mean, Joe's being modest, but she talks about cooking together. So pandemic happens. People are at home. They're with their kids. What are we going to do? So Joe grabs a couple of her kids and they start doing these really fun videos. And then we have partners who are starting to get interested 
and uh, we did a s'mores. We did a we did a waffle s'mores video, and Hershey was our sponsor. So the origin of that idea was really how do we really give something to our audience that they want? It resonates really well. Partners become interested. Uh, we did. I think eight sponsored episodes of Cooking Together. And then that has sort of adapted into kind of a built if sold editorial platform of which we've already locked in several partners for this year and looking at an even bigger um, expansion there. So it, it feels great to us naturally as the brand. And I think our advertisers appreciate it that these content opportunities are developed with the audience in mind first. Because uh, those are the ones that are going to be the most valuable for the advertiser. They'll be. It's the most, it feels the most authentic. I mean, listen, that's, and that's the other thing too. And, and I appreciate Dan's nice words. I'll say that like a lot of our editors have had like great success. You know, June, who's our fantastic star on YouTube, you know, she's done a couple of great branded videos and, and it feels you know, I think that the things that she's talked about, whether it was like using beans or, you know, the kinds of very organic things that she would do in her own space, um, you know, it, it's why our audience loves it. They, it doesn't feel forced in any way. It feels very true. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back. Dan, you mentioned that now you have this kind of like a built if sold model for the cooking together series. That's the Instagram live one, right? That's the one that, um, so now you have this kind of like ongoing, like, I guess, advertising initiative on the platform that. Yeah. Okay. That's and awesome. It's, and, and, and it's evolved. So, so we, we went from Instagram live to Facebook, uh, and now we're doing it on the site actually. Okay. So, so it's a chance for us to, and, and also, you can imagine the demands at the Salt's household of wrangling kids and a recipe <laughs> together and, you know, production. So, so now we have a little bit more time. We can work a little closer with the advertiser. But I'm really pleased. You know, you know Joe and I have only really been working together for, for a year here. And, and there, was, there was, I don't know, I guess a lot of untapped talent, the editorial team. Um, at Delish are so expert. I mean, we're going to hear soon about who your favorite YouTube stars on on Delish. Uh, I want to know. We, for sure. You know, June's done some some really great branded work for us for, for the first time this past year. Uh, we did a happy hour with Tanqueray featuring Julia. Um, Joe obviously with Cooking Together. So we've got such great talent within of uh, the brand. But as Joe always reminds me, it's it's the brand itself overall. And I think that's what's really cool about where we've come is that you really see the brand on site, but through all the social executions, now through the print products. Uh, and, you know I, know, I know we're interested in talking, too, about our various licensing partnerships, too. Yeah, yeah. I think um, great transition into the the video side of things. And, um, yeah, my favorite series that you guys do is um, with June is the uh, Budget Eats, right? It's like, yeah, Budget that eats. one. Yeah, um, of course. The episodes are usually like over an hour long and I'll just like have it on like while I'm like, <laughs> you know, doing research or sending emails. And I'm like, oh, this is just so like peaceful and just, I don't know. Like I, I don't even – cook that much on my own, but seeing someone else cooking is like a very just relaxing thing for me. But um, like everyone's, all of your team is pretty much, you know, recording in their kitchens, recording at home. I know in June's series, um, her partner is in the videos often as well. Like I'm curious, um, it just seems like having that at home element creates that like 
that tighter bond with the viewer, right? Like between the host and the viewer. Can you talk about like how I imagine that that has also helped, you know, lead to members as well, but also like, how are you planning on keeping that ongoing like relationship and that like intimacy post pandemic? Like, I'm I'm curious about how, how that's going to, you know, translate into when you're back into the studio or in the test kitchen. You know, it's a great question. And it's something I think about a lot. I mean, first of all, I have to, I have to go back and, and totally reiterate what you said. Like June has such a soothing presence to me just in my regular everyday life. And honestly, I, she's, she's like who I want to get my advice from on like everything. Um, but I, and, and I think our audience, I mean, and you can see from the comments, our audience has become very obsessed with her. What's so funny about her budget eats show which by the way, feels so incredibly timely, right? To such a, in a moment right now and um, feels completely on point with what people want, but was something we were doing before COVID struck. Like she had been doing Budget Eats since, um, you know, well before March of last year. And so, you know, the fact that it suddenly, you know, really hit and and, and struck a nerve at a time when people needed it was really incredible. Um, I have to be honest with you, Kaylee, like I, I really think about what you're saying a lot. You know, we had plans sort of in the in the queue to renovate the Delish Kitchen right now. I mean, listen, we're a six-year-old brand. Like we're not one of the, um, you know, Hearst titans, I would say. I feel like now maybe we are because we've grown so big, but we were not, you know, one of the longstanding legacy brands at Hearst. You know, we were a new kid on the block still. And we are working out of a very small, I don't know if you've ever been up to it, but, you know, a very small um, kitchen that we had renovated. It's just in the corner of the 29th floor. The Good Housekeeping Test Kitchen takes up this huge space. And we're sort of like, you know, made our little spot for ourselves, but you can't fit more than four people in the kitchen at a time. Um, and so frankly, now with everybody shooting at home, you know, I, I say like we have five to eight test kitchens on any given day. You know, we have people, you know, working out of wherever they are and, you know, some of them are shooting, some of them are developing. Um, and so when we had talked a while ago about the, the prospects of renovating the Delish kitchen, we were like bigger and we needed to be big and we're going to have events here and we're going to have a million kitchens going at once and on blah, 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 around every corner. And now I'm like, my gosh, like, is that what we want? Like, do I actually want to build like a bunch of studio apartments? Like what, what is the, the mission now? Cause I do feel like I think again, going back to the original sort of shtick of Delish, which was everybody's welcome. Everybody should feel comfortable here. There's nothing precious. There's nothing fancy. Even our test kitchen looks like a home kitchen, but like a cool home kitchen. And you are welcome and you don't need to feel intimidated. And if it doesn't come out perfect, it's still going to be delicious and don't sweat it. Um, and I would say that now that that mantra hasn't changed. It probably has become more solidified, right? Because where else do you feel comfortable than in your, your friend's kitchen, you know, like where else feels really great to hang out. Um, so I guess to completely dance around your question and not really answer it, I will let you know when I figured out what it needs to be, but whatever it needs to be still needs to have that like really warm and connecting um, atmosphere that, 
our home apartments and homes feel, you know, or kitchens feel, you know, like we need it to sort of resonate on that very baseline level of we're just like you. Like we are trying to get through the day and eat something delicious while we're at it. Yeah. Got it. I mean, I, I agree. It's, it's difficult because like, I don't think before the pandemic, anyone would like, unless you're an individual creator, no one would expect someone to be cooking in their kitchen and have that be as successful as it is. Right. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't click on someone's like home kitchen video. And when there's like, you know, content with professional setups and everything, but now it just feels so like comfortable. It feels like, you know, I'm also trapped in my tiny apartment cooking with a, yes. you know, a small confined space. So it, it'll it be it'll be interesting to see, like in general, I guess, how cooking media goes back to that like test kitchen model. Well, and in some cases, it was actually really sad, right? Like, you know, Tess Komen, who's our, the star of our iconic eats, who was eating her way through Disney World land, all of the different spectacle places across the country, Dollywood, you name it. Um, you know, obviously her wings were clipped, you know, in the face of a pandemic. And so her not being able to get out in the world and, and do all this, we have a fantastic host, Jackie, who sort of loves to go out and eat too. Um, and, you know, sort of same thing. So that was a, that was actually a real bummer. But, you know, the one thing I will say to you is that I think like, you know, certainly with the huge growth of TikTok, um, there's been, there, there is very low tolerance for high production, you know, and I think that people do feel turned off I and mean, no one feels perfect right now. Like my, we're on day 60,000 of yoga pants in this house. I don't know what to tell you. Um, you know, nobody feels, nobody wants to feel like other people are better than them, but also nobody wants to feel like they're failing. Right. And so I think that the, the idea that, the idea that we would want to be in some glossy studio or, you know, something that feels really um, overly done or, you know, some sort of like $2 million kitchen feels like. And I think, off, and I think, you know, I was going to say there's a, there's a positive ahead, to Deb. that too, right? Which is it's, it, there, there's, there's a, it's a lot easier to test things. It's a lot easier to sort of play around and try some concepts. So to that point, Jackie's not out going to restaurants in LA, but she's been doing some food roundups or, you know, great recipes from TV shows. You know, Tess isn't going to theme parks, but she's got a really fun series out now called um, Slightly Kosher, which is a lot of fun. And now you've met her husband. So there's an introduction of another sort of character there in the show. And uh, I, I think to your point, the audience really likes seeing these intimate moments because particularly this past year or so they just become much more relatable and also i guess like you know audiences definitely as we talked about are more comfortable and and interested in that like very connected kind of um content but the advertisers and we talked obviously about um June's show had some um, branded content kind of integrations, like uh, ingredient kind of add-ins and stuff. But are advertisers also just like, do they seem to be happily responding to this kind of content? Like, have you had any kind of pushback yet about, hey, when are you guys going to be back in a test kitchen? When are you guys going to be like, I don't know, getting back to original programming? Yeah. No, it's interesting because it's been really more the opposite and a lot of the branded content that we are doing with advertisers, aside from when it's using our own talent, is this real quest actually for real families. 
and family recipes and looking more for that emotional connection. I think, you know, that's where food as emotion has become so strong uh, that, you know, we're doing some great work now with Coca-Cola where we're talking with different families and that's a video as well as as flat content. Uh, I think what you'll see sort of coming up as we get into uh, the, I guess it's sort of early summer with our second issue of the magazine, Campfires and Cookouts. And, you know, that, that, that will have obviously some, some, some content around the site on that too. You know, there's a really intimate home experience that goes really back to basics where it's a chance for us. So from the marketing and advertising side, it, it's been quite successful. And I think there is going to be, I think even after sort of we come out of this and return back to what we might consider some level of normalcy, there's going to be definitely continued demand for that sort of more authentic, intimate kind of experiences. And I do want to talk about like the licensing commerce kind of side of things as well. Um, I know I've obviously we talked about the cookbooks that you guys have released in the the bookazines, but also I know that you guys have done like, um, I guess, license deals with mixers like stand mixers and I know this because I I did buy one of them because it was the perfect size for my apartment but um what what uh what which color did you get the the like aqua one because it matched my soda stream and it matched my air fryer which is just I mean yeah I I don't know I I guess I like aqua but um I was just gonna say because I've seen that you guys have done these kind of like licensing deals. Can you talk about how that fits into your business strategy and um, if you're looking to grow that um, area? Can I start this, Dan? Because I think Dan's gonna take it to the business <laughs> side, but I'll just say how it began, which was it began because like you know a long time ago. Um, I just wanted Delish to be everywhere. You know, for so long, I really felt like Delish had an awareness problem. Um, and honestly, I still I still feel that insecurity of like, do people know who we are? Um, and so, you know, we started we started experimenting with licensing with the licensing team at Hearst um, under Brian Madden's direction, um, you know, sort of playing with some things out in the world. Um, I'm trying to think of what our first license deal was. Uh, do you actually remember, Dan? Because I don't think you were here for it, but it would have been before you. Um, You know, but, uh, you know, Enlightened Ice Cream was probably one of the first, if not the first. Um, You know, they do like keto and low-cal ice cream. We were sort of like wondering about, like we were debating if that's, we were having huge success with keto everywhere. Like our keto recipes were going crazy on the site. Some of our most successful bookazines to date are the keto uh, bookazines that we put out in the world. Um, And so we... um, we, we decided to partner with them. They're great partners. And uh, now we have the best-selling flavor that, that they've ever made. Um, it was only selling through Whole Foods, and it's still, like, their top seller by far is, like, peanut butter and brownie. Um, it's delicious, and I eat, like, almost a pint a night. Let's not talk about it. Um, I remember those yoga pants. I was talking about yoga pants. Um, and so um, it started there because we were kind of like, wouldn't it be great if like you could see the Delish brand on a dot, dot, dot. We just were, that's where it started. Now as a business strategy, I'll let Dan speak to that because no, a, I, I still think of it as growth potential. But. It, it, it is very much growth potential. And I would just say that we're, uh, we're putting a little bit more strategy, I guess, behind that business as we look towards, you know, what's really good for the brand. Like the Enlightened Partnership is so great. 
Uh, it's fun. It's it's food, and it gets the delish name in grocery stores, which is really exciting. Um, the mixer's yeah. fun. It's a chance for us to sort of play around with design to do some content. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've sold over a million dollars worth of mixers in in 2020, and that's an Amazon-based sales model. But uh, we're going to be testing some HSN on that in May, and from that, you're going to see some new products that are the Delish Dash partnership would be. We are, we're sort of looking for those things that obviously have monetary opportunity, but tie in really to the brand and the content. Another good example is we've got um, a Delish Kids platform coming up in Q3 that we're really excited about. And that's a real content-based initiative digitally, but also this cookbook that we're launching. We also have a licensing deal coming up where you're going to have an actually Delish Play Kids Kitchen that's going to go on sale around the back to school time period. So licensing is definitely, as we look sort of into that growing segment of, let's just call it non-advertiser revenue. But I think we're just sort of doing, let's call it fewer, but bigger and maybe more longstanding uh, deals. I guess like from a purely commerce slash like shoppable item perspective, is that your kind of... is. Are you, I guess my question is, are you doing anything else in the commerce space? Like, are you trying to do any kind of affiliate deals or are you pretty much looking at licensing as your your go-to strategy for um, commerce? I mean, I think we're always looking at affiliate and, and at Hearst, that's a, a big initiative, I would say, you know, with the great success of, you know, good housekeeping. Um, you know, I think that affiliate is important to all of our brands. I, I can't say that the delish reader is dying to shop from us all of the time. You know, I think that we've seen some success there, decent success. Dan would say I'm being modest again. We've seen very good success and I need to give my, my team a major, major props. Um, but I think it's, uh, I, I don't know that you're in a shopping headspace when you're like kind of head down and focused on cooking something great. I think we've, we've seen success in recommendations of things like air fryers and, um, you know, fun cooking gadgets that are really useful. Um, but I think that, you know, that'll always be part of the mission because I think it's hard not, it's hard to be a media brand and not be looking at affiliate. Um, but I can't say that that's something that I want to like necessarily put all of our eggs yeah. into, you know, I, I think that from a brand perspective, development and growth is still so important to us. And that's where licensing really can help come and Help yeah, boost. I think we have the right strategy around commerce again for now where the brand is and it's in its growth stage. You know, there is a delicious shop and there are some really fun products from phone cases to aprons. It's a chance for us really to play around and test some things like last holiday time period. Joe and I were talking about cookies a lot. And so team came up with cookie tins and it was a chance for us to put those on the store, see how the audience reacted to, to the design uh, but I think, but but I would absolutely agree that still very much we're in growth mode, and so that awareness comes into yeah. a really important consideration. Actually, Dan, you just reminded me because in COVID times too, we did our currently stress baking. We did it. We had an apron that said "currently stress baking," and that sold like bonkers. So that to me is also in, is interesting to me. Like I, again, like affiliate important. I want to make sure my bosses are hearing <laughs> me right. Affiliate is important, but. Also, brand awareness is important, and so licensing, and then these sort of brand-specific, you know, products feel really fun, and um, 
you know, they, again, it's like, it feels like part of the immersive delish experience. If you're someone who loves delish, you love the things we're making, you love the partners we're partnering with, you know, it feels all inclusive in that way. Got it. Before we go, is there any other kind of initiatives or uh, brand growth opportunities in 2021 that um, you're excited about that we haven't really talked about yet? Or I don't know, are those are those kind of the major things that you're thinking about? I mean, I'm always thinking about how we can be moving this brand forward. You're going to see some really fun tests in the video space. You're going to see some really great new hosts popping up on our YouTube page, um, our YouTube channel. Um, my sons would kill me for calling it YouTube page. Um, but, um, you know, we have David and Rome, some two new fantastic hosts that we love very much. Um, I'm, I'm sort of excited to see, I'm always looking to figure out how we can be pushing ourselves forward. Um, and I, I just, I would say stay tuned to all sort of the growth and development we're doing in the video, um, stratosphere, because it's, it's very exciting. I'm very excited about it. Print is why we're technically here to talk, but video and digital is still a very important piece of this of this brand's puzzle. And it's just going to get better and better as the year goes on. And that's what I would say are those sort of those exciting big initiatives now that we have the magazine is an even broader opportunity for us to do some exciting cross-platform opportunities with advertisers. And with sort of, by doing it quarterly, we can really lean into these really big categories that we know the audience is really going to respond to. So as we talk to a a marketer, uh, talk to a separate brand, you know, we can really be talking about a bigger holistic strategy around holiday that involves the site, involves the magazine, involves some of our other printed products. Maybe there's licensing tied into it. Uh, and then obviously the membership, which is really exciting to see with Delish Unlimited doing as well as it has after only three months. You know, where are we going to be a year from now? It's really exciting. Well, thank you both so much for joining me today. Um, this is been a really fun conversation and I look forward to the next time we can we can chat you're always the best Kaylee thank you so much for everything and thanks so much for having us well that brings us to the end of this episode of the Digiday podcast thank you to everyone for listening and please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it you can even rate us and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts if you like we'll be back next week with another episode Mm -hmm.